All right. Well, I can sense that there is a lot of feelings around waiting already in the room. And I, I, I noticed that there was some mentioning of waiting in traffic. Anyone mention that they do not like to wait in traffic? I am with you. Yes, uh, waiting in lines, waiting in doctor's offices, none of these things I enjoy. I think my personal worst waiting is when I get put on hold on the telephone. It's the worst. And what makes it so bad is the terrible music that they play. It's like, it's like they already know that I don't like waiting, and so they're going to give me a soundtrack to my waiting. You know, hold music is really kind of people's invention for having to deal with waiting. And we've even created terrible music to go with the waiting, with the soundtracks. And we're going to talk about waiting today. And, and we had some waiting actually in our family uh, this past week, some waiting that took place in our house. A while back, uh, Gigi celebrated a birthday. And her grandparents gave her a gift certificate and told her, you know, you, you, can, you can decide what you want to use this gift certificate on. And so she decided she was going to wait for a little while until she knew what it was that she really wanted. And earlier in the week, on Monday, she declared to us that she finally knew how she wanted to spend her gift certificate. And very, you know, passionately she told us that all her life she had been waiting for roller skates. Okay? <laughs> She's never been roller skating. She doesn't know how to roller skate, but somehow she's been waiting for this her whole life. And so we went online and we looked at all the options for roller skates. And, and so we figured out which ones she wanted. They were very multicolorful roller skates. I think it was more about the fashion than the actual skating. But nonetheless, we placed the order for the roller skates. And every single day throughout the week, Gigi kept asking me, Mom, is today the day that my roller skates come? Is today the day that my roller skates come? And I would say, oh, baby, no, I'm sorry. We didn't prime this this time. You know, <laughs> the, the ones you picked, they weren't available for prime, and so you're going to have to wait, right? And, and so she kept saying to us, this is taking forever. This is taking forever. I just can't wait anymore, Mom. I think, I think I'm going to die before these roller skates come. Okay, there's a lot of drama in our house. She gets that from one of her parents. Um, and, and Gigi, all she wanted, all she wanted was for the roller skates to come that she had ordered. Now, thankfully, they came on Friday. They arrived. When she got home from school, she was so excited about the roller skates. And, and we actually took a little video of her trying on her roller skates for the first time. This is her. How's it, it feel? It will feel better on the brick. Really? <laughs> I don't know if it will. There was a lot of hanging on that particular bar all weekend. And so now we are just waiting for when we're going to go to the ER with Gigi because of all of her falls on the roller skates. But Gigi loves, she loves her new skates, but not once did she enjoy waiting for them. And frankly, we're not that different, are we? We're not that different. She's not alone. There is not a single human on the planet that has ever walked up to me and said, do you know what I just love? I just love waiting. I just love waiting. It's fantastic. I just wish I could get more of it in my life. Not a single human has ever said that. None of us like waiting. And I'm sure there are many of us, many of us in this room today, and your life kind of feels like you are in a waiting room. 
Maybe it has to do with your job. Uh, maybe it has to do with your purpose. And, and you're just wondering, like, okay, God, I just want to know. I just want to know what's my purpose. Like, wh- what should be the career path for me? Maybe it has to do with friendships. Uh, and, and you're just, you're so desirous of having a group of people or, or just even a couple of friends that you can walk through life with that really know you and you know them and they know you. Or, or maybe it has to do with a partner. And you so long for that person that you can walk through life with. And, and you almost feel silly saying this, and you wouldn't ever want to admit this, you would never want to say this out loud, but there's a part of you that quietly feels like, gosh, I just, I feel like my life will start once I find that person. Maybe it, it has to do with children, and you desperately desperately want to start a family. Maybe it has something to do with your family and there's something that you have longed to change in your family and it hasn't changed. Maybe it's a prayer that you've been praying for so many years and you feel like you've just been praying and it almost feels like like breath now. And yet it has gone unanswered. And the question, the question that I have for us to, to wrestle with this morning is when there is nothing that you can do to make the future come any faster, what do you do? When there's nothing, there's absolutely nothing that you can do to make your future come any faster, what do you do? What do you do when there is nothing to do? What do you do when there's nothing to do? And none of us likes waiting. And we're going to see in the story of Moses today, the Israelites are very, very similar to us. Very similar to us. They did not like waiting. And this is the question that we're going we're gonna to wrestle with as we look at what happened when Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt into the wilderness and there was nothing to do but to wait. So I'm going to actually invite you to grab your Bible. It's probably in the seat back in front of you. It might be on the floor. And I'm going to have you turn to the book of Exodus. It's towards the beginning of the Bible. It's found on page 48, Exodus 13. And while you're turning there, I actually want to give you a little bit of history uh, about where we're at in the story of Moses. God had promised the Israelites that they would one day have a promised land that, that would be all their own. But unfortunately... The Israelites had become slaves to the Egyptians, and they never actually got to this land that God had promised. In fact, last week, we we got to see the extraordinary moment with God and Moses up on the mountain where God calls Moses through the burning bush uh, to go back to Egypt to lead the Israelites into this promised land, into their freedom, so, so that they could finally experience the promise that God had for them. So Moses, in many ways, he left his own season of wandering and waiting in the desert, and he went back to Egypt. And multiple times, Moses courageously goes to Pharaoh, the the leader of the Egyptians who had enslaved the Israelites, and multiple times he goes to him and he says, let God's people go. And multiple times, Pharaoh says no. And each time that Pharaoh says no, there is a plague that affects the uh, the Egyptians. Now, this last week, while I was researching for this message, I chose that a good part of my research would be to watch The Prince of Egypt. It's It's all for research. 
you know, and so if you've seen the Prince of Egypt, you saw all of the plagues that take place in the land of Egypt. And, and after these plagues continue to, to literally um, destroy the Egyptians, finally, Pharaoh gets to a point where he relents and he says, okay, the Israelites, they're free. They can go. They can leave this Land. So the scriptures say that literally there were 600,000 men, and then you add to that, plus women and children, there were most likely about a million and a half people that departed from the land of Egypt, that went on this great exodus out of Egypt. So the Israelites, about a million and a half in number, they go marching out of Egypt. Now, you think about this for a minute. Chicago has about three million people that live just here in the downtown. Yesterday, we were at Maggie Daly Park. I think all three million people were there with us at Maggie Daly Park. And so can you imagine, can you imagine with me for a moment, half of that, a million and a half people start marching out of Chicago? It's quite a moment here. It's quite a moment. The Israelites are finally free, and they are finally on their march to the promised land. And so we pick up here in the story at Exodus 13, verse 17, and this is what it says. Uh, chapter 13, verse 17, page 48. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter for God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around. He led them around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites, they went up out of Egypt ready for battle. So the very beginning of the journey for the Israelites, it says very clearly in this scripture that God decides to take them on the long route. So like when they dialed up in their Google Maps and they saw all of the different routes to get to the promised land and they saw that there was the shortest route, God's like, nope, not that one. We're going for the scenic route. God doesn't pick the short journey. He chooses the long way around for the Israelites. He knew that the shorter route would have led them into a battle that they would have never survived. So God leads them on the long route. But that long route it says, was on a desert road, which in some ways is a bit of a foreshadowing of what is to come for the Israelites. So the Israelites, they eventually arrive at the Red Sea during their exodus out of Egypt, and, and they start to realize they don't know what to do. They, they don't have any boats with them. They, they don't know how they're going to get across over to this promised land that God had promised for them. And so, so Moses, literally, he steps into the waves, and he takes his staff, and he puts his staff down into the waves of the Red Sea, and miraculously, the waters part in two. And when I was watching The Prince of Egypt this last week during my research, <laughs> one of my favorite parts was seeing all of the fish swim around on each side of the sea. Can you imagine? Can you imagine God parts a body of water so his people can walk through? And, and, and the Israelites, a million and a half people, they go walking through the Red Sea, and, and can you just imagine that entire time they're thinking, God has been so faithful. 
He's been so faithful. We're almost there. We're almost to the promised land. After all these years, after the promises from Abraham, we're finally going to be there. We're going to be in the promised land. But once they get over onto the other side, they eventually set up their camp in the desert. And in their minds, they're thinking, we're inches away. We're inches away from the promised land. But what actually occurs is the beginning of a 40-year period of wandering and waiting. They wander around, and as they wander, they wait. The journey from Egypt to, the, to this eventual promised land, most uh, biblical scholars say that it was probably around 240 miles, that, that really ultimately from leaving Egypt to get to this promised land, it was about 240 miles. So that's like walking if you will, that's like walking from Chicago to Green Bay and it taking about 40 years before you ever get there, okay? So, so you, you, you leave Chicago, you're on your way to Green Bay, and during that time, it just takes you 40 years. You just kind of wander around, you look at the cornfields, you look at what's going on, and it takes you 40 years before you ever arrive. And then, once you get to Green Bay, you're thinking, oh my gosh, we're finally here, the promised land. We have arrived. And you come into Green Bay, and you look around. <laughs> and you realize, Oh my gosh, I'm in Green Bay. I'm in Green Bay. This is not the land of milk and honey. This is the land of cheese and bratwurst. Like, what am I doing here? I thought I was headed to a promised land. But throughout that whole season, God is faithful. Throughout that entire season of the Israelites wandering and waiting, wandering and waiting, God is faithful because he is working something out. The Bible says that he leads them where to go during the day with this pillar of cloud in the sky, and at night there is a pillar of fire. So the people always knew where to go. God never left them alone. It says that he provided them with fresh water and food. But as we've talked about before, what happens in these 40 years of just wandering around and waiting to get to this promised land, there's this pattern that we see all throughout scripture and it begins to ensue for the Israelites. And that pattern is this, that God is faithful and we are forgetful. That God is faithful. He is faithful through the entire 40 years of wandering around and waiting, but we are forgetful. And this is exactly what happens to the Israelites. The Israelites start forgetting what God had done. They forgot about the fish that were in the sea when he parted it. They, they forgot about how God had led them out of Egypt. They started complaining. They started fighting. They got impatient. They were unhappy with Moses' leadership. They start making up all of their own rules as to how they want to live and how they want to function. In fact, this is the season where, where Moses actually goes up onto the mountain and God gives him the Ten Commandments so that the people of God actually have some guardrails, some, some, some clear wisdom for how to live in life and the very people of God that, that were just rescued 
the very people of God that he had literally just freed from the bonds of slavery, they turned their back on God all because they had to wait. All because they had to wait. And they were out in the wilderness and they were wandering and they were wondering when this promise of a promised land would finally be fulfilled. And you know, as I was studying this week and as I was reading through the book of Exodus and and even through Leviticus and Numbers where so much of, of the wandering and the waiting is recorded, I found myself even growing with a bit of a a judgmental spirit towards the Israelites. And we can kind of look back, you know, a thousand, thousands and thousands of years later, you know, when we read this story and, and we can find ourselves saying things like, well, how on earth, how could they turn their back on God? How could these people do this? I mean, he parted the sea for them. He, he, he brought them freedom. He provided food and water for them every single day. He sent this incredible leader, Moses, to them that, that literally risked his life for them. And we can almost find ourselves saying, you know, if I were there, if I were there, I would have never turned my back on God. I would have always remembered that God is faithful. I would have not been one of those people that is forgetful. But if we're honest, if any of us has ever had to wait, even on the heels of God's faithfulness, waiting has this way. It has this way of leaving us wondering, is God really working? Is God really working? Because waiting leaves us wondering, is God really working? Have you ever waited before and asked yourself that question? God, are you really working? I mean, really. I am waiting here for you, God. And I just want to know, I just want a sign. Could you part some seas again? Because I just want to know, are you working? What are you doing? Are you doing anything at all? Do you see me here waiting? And and, and a frustration starts to grow in us, doesn't it? We start to legitimately wonder, God, what are you up to? And, And I've had seasons like this in my life, seasons where I didn't understand. I didn't understand why God seemed so silent. And my hunch is you've possibly had seasons like that yourself. Maybe you are even in that kind of season right now. And and waiting has this effect on us because we are a people that don't like silence. We don't like silence, do we? we? We start to feel uncomfortable, We don't like doing nothing, so we feel like we have to do something. We get fidgety, we start striving, we start looking for something to do. And when the waiting seems to be going on for too long, much like the Israelites waiting, who waited in the desert for 40 years, we stop waiting on God to work, and instead, we go to work. We stop waiting on God to work because we just grow impatient waiting on him to work. And so we just decide, you know what, God? I know you've got a lot going on. I'll just take this one on myself. I'll go to work for you. I'll go to work for you, God. And we kind of rip the Band-Aid off of waiting and we start working. 
And when we start to work, we start to take life into our own hands, just like the Israelites in the desert. And oftentimes what happens when we go to work, our work is working against God. We, we start to take control. We start to make a plan. We get a timeline together. We hire a staff of people that can do all of the things that we need them to do because God's, he's got a lot going on and so I've got to work. I've got to make this happen. And, and what happens is our working is essentially a way of saying, God, I'm not sure I can trust your timing so I'm going to just depend on my own. I'm not sure I can trust that your timing is good and that you're actually on the job here. I can't trust that you're actually working, so I'm going to have to go to work for myself and I'm going to have to trust in my timing. And it's because we don't see all of the things that are happening in the in-between time. We, we don't see all that is actually happening and that waiting is actually a very active experience. But it never feels that way to the one that is waiting. I remember a season um, a number of years ago in my life where I had, um, I actually, I lost a job that I loved. And I was in this season of waiting and I was just wondering, okay, God, what's next? What's next? What's next? Like, what's next week? What's next week, God? And that week turned into more weeks and turned into months. And I was in this season of waiting, and all I wanted to do was get out of it. And a dear friend and mentor uh, gave me a book um, that I have now given to many friends that have been in a season of waiting. It's called When the Heart Waits by a woman named Sue Monk Kidd. I swear I've made Sue Monk Kidd very rich by giving <laughs> lots and lots of copies of this book to my friends. But she says this about waiting, and it is so true. She says, waiting is the in-between time. It calls us to be in this moment in this season, without leaning so far into the future that we tear our roots from the present. When we learn to wait, we experience where we are as what is truly substantial and precious in life. Isn't that good? You see, when we wait, we begin to learn that where we are is exactly where we need to be. That where we are is exactly where we need to be. When God invites us to wait, his invitation is for us to loosen the grip of control and to let God be God in our lives. And when God invites us to wait, he's actually inviting us into a very active, spiritual, transforming experience. And when we actively wait with him, we begin to see and trust that standing still in the present can actually mean deep forward progress. That letting life happen instead of controlling how life happens, that that actually produces more growth and more peace. You see, God designed waiting as this sacred transforming opportunity for us to stop working so hard. That, that's what waiting is designed for. Waiting is not an invitation to go to work. It's an invitation to actually wake up to the truth that God is working. God is working while we wait, and sometimes the very best place for this to happen 
is in the wilderness. It's in the wilderness, the place that we never wanted to go, but the place and the space where sometimes we most need to be. And I look back on seasons of my life where I have wandered in the wilderness, where I was much like the Israelites, seasons of loss, seasons of loneliness, seasons of looking for directions, wondering where is God taking me? I look back to this last fall and I I think about a season where um, our daughter was diagnosed with this strange and rare um, sickness. And I remember waiting in, in the waiting room, the perfectly named room, and thinking, all I want to do is get out of this room. All I want to do is get out of this space of waiting. But you know what's so amazing? As I look in the rear view mirror of my life, and I look at those different seasons, I look at those different seasons of loss, I look at those different seasons of loneliness, I look at those different seasons of direction, I look at that season of waiting for God to do something in my daughter's life. I look at some of the areas of my life right now where I'm waiting. They are some of the most spiritually rich and transforming seasons I have ever walked through. And if someone were to say to me, Jeannie, would you go back? Would you go back to that waiting? I would say absolutely. Absolutely, because the fruit that God has produced in my life of trusting that in the wilderness, he is present, his promises are true, and he always provides. There is something about, there is something about, and you can comb from the scriptures from Genesis all the way to Revelation where the people of God go into wilderness and they go into a waiting and there is something that God does in the midst of those seasons where he shows his presence in a powerful way. He reveals his promises and his provision is clear. And what happens is is we wake up in those moments to his presence. You think about the Israelites. God gave them a pillar of cloud in the sky and a pillar of fire at night. You think they were aware of God's presence in that moment? You wake up to his presence, to the fact that his love is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that nothing about your circumstances or your choices are ever, 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 ever going to change the love of God. It's impossible for it to happen that he is always with us, he is always for us. When we're in the wilderness, we wake up to his promise, his promise that his grace is sufficient for whatever we are going through, his promise to carry our burdens when we give them over to him, his promise that he will always supply a way out when we are in the middle of temptation, his promise that those that wait, that those that wait, he will renew their strength and they will soar on wings like eagles. And sometimes it's in the wilderness that we need to wake up to that truth. And we get to wake up to his provision. You know, once the Israelites actually crossed over the sea and they went into a season of wandering and they went into a season of waiting in the desert, God provided for them in their waiting. 
And the scriptures tell us in the book of Exodus that every morning there was this food-like substance that, that appeared from heaven, and, and the Israelites, they called it manna. And every single morning, God provided the Israelites with food. And, and Moses kind of gave some instructions that, that went along with this manna, and the instructions were this. God was going to provide it every single day, and they didn't need to store it up for the next day. So they didn't need to go out and, you know, get their, their Tupperware or, you know, put it away into the refrigerator so that they could store it up to have some more for later in the week, but that God was going to be faithful in his provision. And he was going to provide every single day. But in Exodus 16, we actually see that the people, the Israelites, actually wanted to be in control of even their food supply. In fact, it says in Exodus 16, 20, however, some of them, they paid no attention to Moses, and they kept part of it until morning, and it was full of maggots, and it began to smell. This is like where the first food expiration date was invented, right? <laughs> the people wanted to be in control they couldn't even release control to the fact that God was going to provide food from heaven every single day for them. And so instead of trusting in God to work, they went to work. They started storing up the food, saving the food. And when God, when God invites us to wait, he invites us to release our demands into his desires to move from this internal message that every one of us has around my will and to release it to your will, to release it to your will. And I think that, you know, sitting here in church, we could all probably say, oh, that's so what I want. That is so what I want. I so want to be able to say, God, your will, not my will. Especially, you know, like we're sitting here and Pat's playing on the guitar. It's, you know, it sounds so right, right? If I could just have a guitar player walking around with me at all times. Of course, I would open my hands to God and say, your will be done. But then life starts happening, doesn't it? And we wanna, we wanna rip control back into our lives. And see, it's because we are this patchwork of both light and dark, and we are torn between our demands and God's desires. And when we hold so tightly to our demands, they often become like decayed day-old manna. And I have found in my life that the process of waking up to God's promises, to waking up to his presence and to waking up to his provision is transforming my life. And it's, it's been simple in some ways because it's simply just saying breath prayers. Breath prayers that sometimes I pray 40 times a day. God, your will be done. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give me today your daily bread. And every time I want to clinch control, every time I want to make a demand, every time I want to control how the story's going to be written, God, your will be done. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give me today your daily bread. And some of you, you need to start praying that breath prayer. 
You need to start praying that breath prayer as you wander around in your own wilderness. Because when we wake up in the wilderness, we come to see that this haze and this fog that we have been in of thinking that we were in control is that we have never been in control. That God has always been in control of our lives. And we start to see and experience this very powerful truth that God works while I wait. God works while I wait. God works while I wait. But God also waits while I work. God is faithful to work while we wait. But when we go to work, God starts to wait. And this thing that you are in the middle of today, whatever it is that you are waiting on, whatever your wilderness is, the waiting that is occurring in your life, God has not left you alone in the waiting. You have not been left alone in the waiting. The waiting that you are in is packed with so much possibility for you to wake up to the undeniable and transformational love of God that is with you in your waiting. And I know I have been in seasons of waiting. There are some things that I am waiting on right now, and I know that it is hard. I get it. But some of you need to be freshly reminded today that you don't need to do the work in the waiting. That God is at work. And as lovingly as I can say to you today, with the depth of my heart, I want to say to you from the heart of God, stop working. Stop working. Stop working so hard. From the heart of God, stop it. Stop working and choose into the rhythm of grace and waiting. And the invitation is for each of us this week to say, I will work with God by waiting on God. I will work with God by waiting on God. Maybe you need to write that down. Maybe, maybe you need to write it on your arm. Maybe you need to put it in your phone. And maybe that's your breath prayer this week. I, I will work with God by waiting on God. That will be my work this week. I will work with God by waiting on God. And I want to pray for us as we go into a time of worship. In fact, I actually just want to ask you to maybe just bow your head and to close your eyes. Perhaps even open up your hands to God right now. And as Patrick and Jeremy lead us into a time of worship, I actually want to invite you to let them sing the first part of this song over you. To let it be a gift, to let it be A reminder that in your waiting, God is with you. In your wandering, God has never left you. Psalm 40 says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire, and he set my feet on a rock. And he gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, 
a hymn of praise to our God. And God, that is our desire. Would you put a new song in our mouth today? A song where we can trust you, that you are working as we wait. And we pray this in your name. Amen.